Patty, I thought our episode today was one of the most interesting conversations that we've had. I think it rates way up there, James. I mean, I was just like enamored with, with, you know, me and dad. So I knew you would love this episode for sure. I I would love it as much as you did, but I think I did actually. (laughs) Yeah. I I think we both, I learned so much from him and I, and I, and I know you did too. And I think our, our listeners are really going to enjoy this. I think it's, they're going to come away from this interview with some real actionable information. Yeah, absolutely. So again, um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about retention. That's plain and simple and how to actually predict which merchants are highly likely to cancel. Um, and then Patty, you shared some really great data in the insiders. Some really great data about the uh, transition away from traditional card payments to to more digital forms of payments. There's a lot of activity out there. There's a lot of consumer demand. And James, I really, I thought your question from the field really dovetailed well with our interview. You want to give everybody a little snippet of that? Yeah. So I talk about the most underrated component of agent compensation. Uh, I'm actually not going to talk about it because I don't want to give you the, I don't want to spoil it because it's not what you think. And if you're an agent and right now you're thinking, okay, is it the schedule A cost? Is it the residual split? Is it the upfront bonuses? It's none of those things. So it's the most underrated component of agent compensation. That's what I talk about there. Our sponsor for this podcast is Valor Paytech, the leader in processor agnostic omni-channel terminal and gateway technology. They have a fantastic virtual terminal, fantastic um, uh, you know, uh, physical terminal. They specialize in cash discounting. So definitely check them out. Go to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R. Okay, James, so you ready to go into the uh, podcast? Let's do it. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Everybody, Patty and I are here today with Sebastian. He is the CEO and co-founder of Arkham Partners. How are you doing today, Sebastian? Pretty good, James. Pretty good. How you doing, Patty? It's uh, really, really good to be here. Oh, great to have you. Great to have you. I love this topic we're going to do today. It's uh, one of those topics that I can really sink my teeth into. Yes, Pat- so. Patty is our resident data expert. So we're uh, going yeah. to be talking about big data. Um, Sebastian has really created an interesting niche working with a lot of the large processing companies to help them leverage their big data to predict um, attrition, to help them retain customers. Um, and so before we dive into all that though, Sebastian, we have to get your story. Um, I got a little bit of it as I talked to some people that we had mutual connections, but I want you know, our audience to hear it. So how did you get into this crazy industry and then how did you end up uh, founding uh, Arkham Partners? Man, you know, I, I always have this saying that, you know, you don't choose payments, payments chooses you. Correct. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and during my short tenure, you know, it kind of started, you know, going back, uh, I go back to grad school where this is pretty much where I started getting the data bug. And, you know, as an applied economist, you know, it's pretty much about how do you leverage data modeling traditionally in economics to pretty much make business decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were, you know, this is kind of my first time where I was exposed to the tools available uh, to solve business problems using right. and leveraging data. Uh, shortly after, I actually, you know, went to work and, and, and did a lot of this for, you know, the publication industry. In fact, you know, churn is obviously a problem in that industry, as you can imagine. Uh, but shortly after, when I, you know, went on to, to come into the, the payment industry with, you know, probably one of the biggest processors in the game, um, I came back to this problem. You know, this is also a problem that was present in the payment industry. And from that point on, I almost became obsessed with it. I, I, I was lucky enough that I had the, you know, the opportunity to, to play around with almost, you know, half a million merchants 
globally. So this is where the precursors or the initial models uh, that I built came from, you know, uh-huh. and and a lot of my experimentation and, and even, you know, uh, initial insights really stemmed from 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 this exposure. Uh, so shortly after, you know, I didn't have any kids, didn't have any, you know, a wife, not even a girlfriend at the time. So I said, well, you know, I, I, I love this problem. No one seems to be trying to solve it. So let me go ahead and go and swim against the current and, and try to do, you know, something very challenging, which is, you know, obviously, uh, in a way, it's predicting the future, a future right. that hasn't occurred. Uh, and again, having the tools and having been exposed to how those tools are applied to business settings, uh, it, it became a no brainer. And, you know, I, to be honest, I, I, I thought this was going to be relatively easy. It's like, oh, you know, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I got the date already. You know, I got the expertise. Yeah, let's let's dive in and solve right. it. And, and right. no, it, it actually, you know, it took a while to get it right. It sure. took a while to get the methodology right. But, you know, today, almost three years later, I would say, you know, we have analyzed over, you know, 200,000 merchants uh, across the U.S. And um, in total, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around $150 billion in processing volume that has gone through our algorithm. So, you know, we, we have gotten better by no means is, you know, uh, um, by no means is it the, you know, the, 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 the true final answer. I think it's a work in progress right. and we can only hope to get better and better through time. Sure. I, I, I love that. It's like, oh, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any kids or a girlfriend. I got all this time on my hands. I'm just going to start crunching numbers. <laughs> I had some money too, you know. I'm not going to lie, Patty. It was like coming out, you know. Right. You realize, like, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't need all this money. I, let me start something. Yeah. And, and I always wanted to. So, you know, again, stumbling upon this problem was probably one of the, the greatest blessings and and curses, I would say, because now it's like I, I'd be, you know, thinking about this day and night and, and obviously right. how do we improve and how do we get better at it? Sure. Can I, I, I got I have to ask you, though, how long did it take before you started addressing the problem to when you could actually go out and say, here's something I can offer you? I'll tell you this, Patty. Uh, um I had enough savings for about a year initially, and I said, ah, there's more than enough time. <laughs> and little did I know, it was actually going to take us about a year to get our hands on our first data set to actually start wow. experimenting and really, really hammering the problem. So it, it, it's been a long road. Um, but honestly, you know, all the pain, suffering, it's once you get the results, it's almost sure. like, wow, you know, I knew it. I knew this could work. I always right. knew it. Right. And and it's so refreshing, you know, it's kind of sure. worth every single every single ounce of pain you experience through the journey. It's 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 totally worth it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love it. It's a classic entrepreneurial uh uh-huh. story. I've I've experienced the same thing uh, you know, several times of you know, thinking like, oh, this is you know, like our the the one the you know business right now that we're scaling up is our you know ISO AMP, which is our automated statement analysis, you know. And so uh, I thought like Oh, I know statement analysis. Like, how hard can this be? You know, <laughs> uh, 1.5 later, you know, it's like, oh man, we're still getting this, you're still tweaking it. You know, it's like, so I get it. Um, okay. So, so let's talk about attrition and you know, how big of a problem is this in our industry? And when I say our industry here, Sebastian, I'm talking about, you know, the ISOs that, you know, in our audience, we have, you know, the independent agent model or the W2, but it's, you know, direct sales ISOs, you know, how big of a problem is attrition for our industry, especially in light of payfax and ISVs and these kind of new like external disruptors and competitors that we have today? 
um, I would say it's a huge problem, you know, and it's present by, you know, whether you're a small ISO or the biggest crosser in the game, this is a problem present across the board, you know, to give you some stats, roughly, you know, over 20% of merchants are expected to leave every single year. That's one in five merchants, you know, that's a big number, yeah. you know, imagine, you know, one out of every processing merchant, mm-hmm. um, out of every five processing merchants leaves your portfolio. Now you're in a constant rat race of trying to compete. And obviously as competition gets more fearsome from bigger tech players that like square coming into the game, this is only going to become exacerbated over the long run, you know? Sure. sure. I'm, I'm curious though, you know, as you, as you were building your data models, you know, what did, what did you uncover to be sort of the key drivers of, of attrition? I love this question, Patty. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're the data lazy on it. Right, I'm the data. Here. <laughs> uh, so, so actually, we, we pretty much both, obviously, you know, you, can, you get a processing file and you get over 300 different columns or data fields, as we call mm-hmm. them. And, you know, it, it was interesting enough, we were able to pretty much boil it down to five main reasons as to why a merchant may leave. Um, a lot of people think it's pricing, to be honest. And, and the truth uh-huh. is, it's, pricing is a component but it's not the main driver. You know, you have um, agents or partners that could be taking their portfolio elsewhere, so therefore leaving you behind. Um, the other reason we identified is um, service. You know, a lot of times merchants may have bad surveys or multiple sure. experiences where service was just lagging, and obviously they, they don't have the agents are constantly calling them to switch and save on money. So obviously service is a big thing. Um, the other thing I would say is product. Uh, product in many times is, you know, uh, not ideal for that particular merchant or vertical. And therefore, you know, when someone comes into your door and asks and proposes or offers you a better product for your specific business, then you're more likely to leave. Um, additionally, we uncovered, you know, the economy. So we get information about the zip five level. So we can get very granular as to what's the economy. Plus, we use a lot of proprietary data sets to enhance the payment data that we get in order to really determine whether this is a macro driver or rather an internal driver of attrition. And last but not least, obviously, it's pricing. You know, sure. uh, obviously, pricing is a big component as well as to why a merchant may leave. And, you know, they're constantly, I have to understand that in this industry, merchants are constantly getting haggled off. Hey, I can save you. I can save you and cut your processing rates. So as you can imagine, this is, you know, it, 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 it's not one single answer. I would say it's, it's a composition of those five reasons that, that I just mentioned. Were any of those things, did any of those things or anything else really surprise you, you know, when you started doing this analysis? Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I was expecting, you know, I, I must have spoken to God, maybe hundreds, if, if not more than that, you know, executives, customer relationships manager, and, and they always go back to, oh, it, it's pricing. It's always pricing. Of course it's pricing. But it was very interesting to find out, actually, no, a lot of the drivers of attrition are internally, like your agent, you know. Um, he gets offered a better split by a bigger guy. And obviously, instead of taking his book, his entire book, immediately, no, he starts taking it slowly because maybe he doesn't want to ruin that relationship with the processor. Maybe you offer him cash discounts and the new one he's going to does not. So he does not want to obviously limit his ability to to find the right product or service for his merchant. So this is a slow attrition that occurs and mm-hmm. it's all driven internally you know you wouldn't expect your agents or your partners to be doing this but you know that is actually you know one of the main drivers of attrition that we see uh, across the portfolios that we have analyzed it's, it's 
stems from the agent a lot of times. That's so interesting. You know, and obviously the main reason that they would want to take them slowly is because um, almost every agent in the industry is under a very strict non-solicitation clause in the agreement where it's technically legal for them to, you know, to move a merchant once they've placed it with a processor. And, you know, it's interesting, actually, like I'm I'm imagining how my audience is receiving this interview. Um, (laughs) All of them right now are thinking, wait a second, (laughs) are you telling me that you can identify the agents that are flipping the accounts? And we, you know, so all the agents are thinking right now, all the ISOs are loving you. So uh, (laughs) don't hate me. I just crunched the numbers, you know? He just crunched the numbers. He's not, yeah. Agents are like, wait a minute, I've been sneaking around with this for years. What are you saying, you know? Um, So, okay, now there's one that you didn't mention though. Sebastian, that I'm really, really surprised actually. So talking about merchant size, I was under the, I, I, I understood that like if a merchant does less than 5,000 in volume versus they do over a hundred thousand, I thought that there was like a massive like difference in retention. What's the deal right. with that? Oh man, this is, I, I love this question because it, it's actually like, it's very interesting. It, this is again, when you get to see sort of payment, like you have to know payments to be able to make sense of these insights, you know, sure. because, yeah. you know, yeah, you can hire a data scientist who's never seen a single processing file, right. but the intricacies of the industry are only known by those who are in the industry, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, James. On average, you know, uh, increase in processing volume actually reduces the probability of, of a merchant treating. You're, you're absolutely right by that. Uh, but I'll give you this caveat, you know, when we hold price fixed, in other words, when the big pro- when the big merchants and the small merchant both have the same price, it's actually the larger merchants who have a higher likelihood of leaving. And the reason for that is, you know, of course, as a large merchant, you have a lot of leverage with your processor. Someone offers you better rates, your processor is more likely to match those rates versus a small guy. Hey, it's just a small guy, let him leave. Uh, but when you have all things, you know, when price is held, you know, constant across the two merchants, uh, bigger guys are actually more likely to leave than those smaller ones. Really? That is so interesting. interesting. So, so let's, what do you think the reason is for that? I'm sorry, James. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. What do you think the reason for that is, Sebastian? The reason for that, honestly, I think that, you know, the smaller guys don't get as much uh, white glove treatment as the bigger accounts, I would uh-huh. say. Uh-huh. And they're almost seen as, I'm not going to say, you know, dispensable, but hey, uh, there is a lot of these smaller guys sure. in comparison to the big guys. So it's very easy, you know, it actually makes perfect sense. If the majority of my revenue comes from, you know, uh, a, a small majority of the merchants, then I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to give my extreme attention to those, right. uh, to those particular merchants. But in reality, it's like if, if you peel the curtain back, you realize like there's those small, medium-sized merchants one day will become big merchants, you know. So I would say it's in the best interest of, you know, every ISO an agent to, to, to never disregard that and, you know, to build those relationships early on. Because again, at one point, that small merchant is not going to remain small forever. Right, right. But if, but, but if the big merchant is getting kid gloves treatment, why would they leave? Oh, well, there's always someone who will treat you better, Patty. Um, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. I, I, I kind of thought that was... <laughs> well, I, think this, I think this is so interesting. And I, I actually really want to dig into this for a second, Sebastian, because this is news to me and I love this insight. So, so let me see if I can restate this and tell me if I'm understanding what you're saying. So what you're saying is, you know, on face of it, 100,000 a month merchant versus a 5,000 a month merchant or 10,000, you know, statistically, 100,000 merchant is less likely to trend. But 
the the fact that it's a hundred thousand versus ten thousand is not actually the predictive. It's not the it's not the driver. What you're saying is that hundred thousand merchant is more likely to have better service, potentially integration with technology, better pricing, and so it's actually these other things that because they're a large merchant, as an industry, we've decided to treat them differently, and it's the way that we're treating them that's actually causing them to not trade. Is that what you're saying? A hundred percent, man. I couldn't have phrased it better. You know, that, that is pretty much a spot on, you know? Wow. Okay. This is, this is really, really interesting. Okay. So, all right. So I love this. This is interesting. So, so now let's move on to another really interesting topic here, which is integrated payments. Right. Um, so of course you already mentioned this, uh, as far as the type of solution that they had. Um, I'm just kind of curious, um, you know, when you talk about a, a, a merchant account and they have integrated payments versus, a standalone terminal or whatever. I mean, how big of a difference are you seeing with retention? Uh, you know, what's 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 the deal with that? How big of a driver is that? Um, so I'll be honest. So we, for the most part, you know, and all the portfolios we've ever analyzed, probably about, you know, six of them, um, we don't necessarily see if, okay, this guy has, you know, appetite or this guy has a particular, you know, POS system that, you know, allows them to do, how do you call that? You know, inventory management and so forth. It's it's not very it's not very specific. But from the data that we see is we can see if the terminal is, you know, has conflictless payments or not. You know, so we can actually use that as a proxy to, hey, this is a more sophisticated terminal than a just your regular, you know, X terminal up. that right, right exactly that allows you to just accept the credit cards. So what we're actually seeing is that, you know, uh, across portfolios, uh those merchants with these, you know, quote unquote, fancier terminals, uh, the probability of leaving is actually reduced for anywhere between four to up to 6% in many cases. It really depends on the number changes from portfolio to portfolio. But, you know, it, in fact, it's true, you know, these type of, you know, the newer terminals do provide for a stickier product. And, you know, that's why I don't think that it's contactless payments per se that is helping these merchants retain or, or stay around for longer, but rather is that these terminals on average tend to be fancier and have more functionality than, than other, uh, than other more traditional uh, POS solutions. And just to, again, kind of clarify a bit more there. So what you're saying is um, the data you have available to you on the six like large portfolios you guys have looked at so far is you have contactless versus non-contactless that's what you're talking about, but you, you haven't, you know, and I understand that. So there's just the fact of saying they have contactless means they're more likely that they have like a fancier terminal. So they're less likely to attract, but have you seen data as far as like they have a point of sale system versus a smart terminal or, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of level, or is that not data that's been available? No, that's again, that's sometimes, you know, it, it really varies. The data we get varies from processor to processor, you know, Right. And believe it or not, a, a lot of processors, sometimes we see whether, you know, they have multiple terminals in the location or they have a single terminal. But, you know, in terms of specific functionalities of the terminal, we don't really see that data a lot. Wow. And That's... for the most part, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not being tracked. I would encourage, right. you know, your listeners, if you know, you're an ISO that, hey, uh, try to con collect and, and, and as much information about your merchants and service and products as you can. Because, again, I I'm no wizard. You know what I'm saying? We simply in here, all we do is crunch the numbers and let the data right. tell the story. And if I don't have right. access to a specific uh, variable or, or column, or, then I cannot infer anything. You know, it's that, that's why we you know when we say we use sort of that contactless payments as a proxy 
for whether this is a fancy terminal or not. Right. Uh, whether that does inventory management, uh, we don't know. We can only infer that, hey, we see that constantless payments reduces the likelihood of a trading, uh, but can we attribute that to, you know, whether this is a X, Y, or Z terminal? We can't. Right. That's so interesting. I mean, it's, it's actually a really, it's an interesting point that you can't make. You know, it's like, really, I'm that surprises me. So I, I feel like, you know, if there's an ISO or processor out there and it's like, if you don't have a column in your, in your data set for full feature point of sale or in some way, I think you, you want to quantify this merchant has payments integrated into the business operating system that they're using, right? So whatever that might be, if it's, you know, it could be card not present and it's integrated with QuickBooks or it could be card present and they've got their point of sale or whatever. But I think that's that's really interesting. Okay, so I think this is fascinating. I think all of our listeners uh, realize at this point that you're able to kind of predict some of this. <laughs> great. So, so tell us more about Arkham Partners. Um, I'm assuming you only work with wholesale ISOs because you have to get this data. Like, tell us a little more about like, who do you work with? How do you partner? Like, what's your what's your place in the industry here, Sebastian? Man, James, you have been very on point up to this point, you know. Uh, actually, no, you, it, it's not only wholesale ISOs. We work with retail ISOs all the time. Really? And, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, retail ISOs do have access to this data from, from a, lot okay. of, a lot of them, a lot of them, you know. And, and to be quite honest, you know, we – for the most part, we work with the smaller ISOs, not not the big, large processors. Um, and when we find the most interesting insights, usually come from these smaller guys because they get more creative. They collect more columns that the bigger guys maybe don't consider collecting. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what makes sort of this journey fascinating because you see, you know, sometimes we come across a portfolio that oh, it's just 5,000 merchants or it's 3,000 merchants. But you see a column you've never seen before, and it's like, Jesus has come, you know? It's like, <laughs> this is fascinating, you yeah, know? Sure, it, it, sure. It, and and, and I, I can't stress this enough, and it's like, you know, it's not so much about the quantity of the data you collect. It's not, you know, you can have a million observations, but if, if your portfolio has some restaurants and some e-commerce, and you treat the data that you're collecting from both of those merchants the same, then you're not going to see the intricacies that are present sure. between a uh, restaurant or retail versus a, you know, car not present type of merchant. Mm -hmm. So if I understand yeah. correctly, what you're saying is, and, and I hadn't thought about that, I mean, that is interesting. There are a lot of retail ISOs, of course, that would have access to, you know, a, a lot of data, right? Uh, maybe not as much as some of the others, but I think that's, that's super interesting. So you're working with a retail or, or wholesale ISO, it doesn't matter. They have a portfolio, 3000 plus mid, something like that. And what does this process look like? Are you kind of like tweaking your algorithm based on the data that they have available? And then talk about like, what do they get out of this? Is there like a dashboard that says, here's the ones that are going to cancel that you should, you know, that are, they're, they're a yeah, high right? to cancel. Like, what do you, what, tell us more about the actual, or like why they're going to cancel or something like that. Yeah. 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 No. So the process is, you know, we're, we're not that fancy yet, James. So, you know, in fact, we actually, I usually just send an Excel sheet and say, Hey, here are the mids they are leaving some information about those mids, and then uh, we give some reasons as to why those merchants are leaving. Um, but we actually actually recently closed the financing round, so we are going that route. We are building these <laughs> analytics sure into a dashboard to make it a lot more user-friendly for the retention managers that are going to be using this type of insights down the road. But sure. it's a fairly straightforward process. You know, we usually get the data from, from the ISO require, um, transfer that securely, obviously, and then... We start custom tailoring. The, we have benchmark models, of course, but at the same time, you know, 
that differences across portfolios are sometimes so unique or portfolios maybe focus on one vertical versus the other. Um, so every single model we built initially, it's taking that into consideration. So in a way, they are custom tailored to specifically fit the patterns that that particular portfolio may fit in, 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 in their client, you know what I'm saying, uh, in their client book more or less. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I really like what you're doing, Sebastian. It's, uh, you know, I, these podcast episodes are always interesting to me because I learn new things. And right. <laughs> I, I really think like what, what you're doing, ultimately, like macro, you know, everybody can win with this. It's kind of a thing where I feel like it could really provide an, an additional level of stability to the industry, um, especially as the larger companies kind of take this on. And it's like if they're putting those resources into retaining merchant accounts, all of a sudden we're not losing 20% of, you know, there, there isn't this changing of hands every year. Um, I think that's actually really, really interesting. Okay, la last question here. Uh, well, I guess I have two more. Um, uh, so what advice do you James, have? Let me, go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, but, but I actually want to also stress this point, you know, it's, if 20% of your book is leaving, it's, it's because again, you know, uh, maybe there's something wrong, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, you know, but it gives you room for improvement. and. And I think that's all our product does. It highlights where, you know, there's where there's opportunities for improving. You know, again, merchant services has the word service in it. And I can't tell you how many, you know, ISOs or acquires are, you know, maybe not, not afraid, but reluctant to call their merchants. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's like, you know, all we're doing is sort of shining a light to the problem and say, hey, you know, just spend more time with your merchants, uh, help them. You are the payments expert the their the advisor like the consultant there you mm -hmm. go you know business as it is for a merchant is complicated enough you know don't make processing one of those additional problems you know right yeah. right i like it i like it um okay so I, I actually i'm looking at my list here and i had a few i do want to dive into a couple other things but i'm going to go kind of rapid fire here sebastian okay so we're gonna <laughs> I, you know i get to we can, you and i and patty could talk for another couple hours i'm sure but I, our listeners <laughs> might want us to wrap it up so all right so number one question is what can we do about it so have you found any specific kind of like, here are the actions you just mentioned, you know, spending more time. I mean, is that, is that all it is? It's like, just reach out. Like what, what, what do we need to do about this when we find out, Hey, this merchant's got a higher likelihood of a trading. You know, I, I feel like, you know, this really depends on the type of merchant that, that we're talking about. You know, obviously a, a gas station merchant is going to need a completely different approach uh, than a restaurant merchant, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I would say, you know, it really does begin with just reaching out and seeing, okay, what are some of the pain points you're experiencing as a merchant? And, and from there, you know, really looking internally to determine whether, you know, what, what additional product offering service offerings do I have that I can solve these merchants problems? I, I think that's where everything, you know, pretty much stems from, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes that can be achieved through a phone call and you get more information about exactly what is keeping this merchant awake at night. Uh, many times it's just a simple matter of, hey, uh, here's a new POS because I know that you're a restaurant, you don't have contactless payments, and this could really benefit your day-to-day -day operations in this COVID environment, for example. You know, so, so, so I think it's, it's, it's I don't wanna give you one answer that applies to all merchants because again, every merchant is unique. Uh, but but something that I can say, it, it really does start with, you know, just reaching out and, and speaking with the merchant because they'll let you know what is wrong from the right. beginning, you know. Sure. So, 
establishing and building and continuing to to build upon that relationship is is fundamental when it comes to being in this business. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I love that. So, so I think you know, for the larger processors and acquirers, I mean, I think this is a pretty straightforward thing. Like, get you the data, you get them back this list of you know of mids that they should have their support team focus on. So that's a no brainer. Let's talk about the the other side though. So let's talk about the small ISO, meaning you know. They've got, you know, 15, 20, 30 sales reps, maybe 100, but they've got these independent agents all over the place selling for them. Um, what advice do you have if you give them kind of one quick piece of advice to, you know, maybe help with their with their issues of, of attrition? Absolutely. So, you know, I think this is a twofold answer. You know, the first is obviously, you know, uh, you're a small ISO, you know, maybe you don't have access to a fancy data team. Well, your processor does. You know, so maybe it starts with asking, you know, it, it, it begins with asking for help. You know, I, I can imagine, James, when you first began your entrepreneurial journey, uh, you probably asked a lot of mentors, advisors for help, and, and they always guided you to the answer. You know, the, the, the same applies right. for the smaller ISOs. They, they are fundamental and critical for a lot of these larger organizations. And, and maybe where a small ISO may not be able to afford uh, more advanced analytics, um, their processors certainly can, you know, so even yeah. asking for their processor to allow, hey, I need more access to my data. Uh, I would like these fancier tools to be used so I can help manage my book better. Um, right. I'm pretty sure the processors will not be, you know, against providing such such aid. Sure. Absolutely. And then and then going down to even just the individual agent that just, you know, feet on the street. They're the ones that are actually like interacting with these merchants any thoughts there for them, whether it's, you know, maybe the initial sale or, or it's after sale? I mean, what can they do to to really help uh, stem the tide of, of attrition on their own book? Um, I would say, again, you know, asking their ISO for help in that matter. You know, I, I can't, I've never been an agent. Actually, I, I did it for one day. Uh, <laughs> I lied. <laughs> <laughs> tough business, you know, is a very yes. tough, it's very tough, you know, yeah. and and as an agent, you know, I can only imagine, you know, I'm focused on bringing in accounts. I'm focused on building these relationships quickly with these merchants. And I don't, I, can't, I don't have the time or, nor the bandwidth to think like, oh, now I've got to go back to reach out to them again to ensure that that relationship is intact. You know, and this is where, you know, again, payments is a, it's, it's an industry of data. You know, we, yeah. we are swimming in data in this particular yeah. industry. So it's, it, it really is a matter of, you know, yeah. Having, you know, whether it's your bigger ISO, the processor, really asking them for the tools necessary to make your life easier as an agent, you know, because, again, yeah. you, you can't do it all. You know, you, right. yes, you're the first line of defense at sure. any given moment. And if that is the case, then I would say, you know, I, I couldn't stress this enough, you know, ensure that you have the right tools to do the right job. Because at the end of the day, you know, no one can really tell whether a merchant is unhappy or not. And the only way to do so is by, you know, really leveraging technology and the power of relationships to really, really have a long lasting book. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Sebastian, this has been uh, one of the more interesting conversations <laughs> we've had on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure many of our listeners are going to want to learn more about you, about our partners. Uh, where would you send them to, to learn more and inquire? Um, you can check us out at our website. That's arcompartners.com. Um, that's A R. R-C-U-M-Partners.com. Uh, my email, Sebastian at ArkhamPartners.com, or honestly, LinkedIn. Sometimes I, I had to take out the notifications there because that was it was driving me crazy. I was getting no work done, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty you know I'm pretty reachable, man. And even even if someone wants to ask a question or something like that, um, again, I'm 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 always 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 willing to kind of uh, evangelize you know the use of data and payments and how to make everyone's life easier at the end of the day. 
Love it. Great stuff. Sebastian, thank you so much awesome. for taking time to be with us. Thank you so much. Of course. Sebastian. Hey, this pleasure. Thank you so much, Patty, James. It's been a pleasure. All right. Have a Same great one, here. guys. So Patty, since this episode really focuses on retention, I thought, well, why not talk about our sponsor, Valor Paytech, that is so focused on this. I actually had a conversation with their president recently, and we were talking about upcoming advertising things we're doing. And I said, what do you want us to focus on? And he said, you've got to talk about retention because he said the ISOs that are using Valor because of all of the bells and whistles with the omni-channel payments mm-hmm. and the uh, the customer feedback loops and all these things they have, yeah, yeah. It, they're seeing increased retention they're having an impact i i I bet they are i bet they are and especially you mentioned the uh the um customer feedback feature you know i think that that is so cool because as a merchant you know if i'm getting you know middle of the road you know accolades i'm you know that's like a that's like a a a alarm news alert (laughs) you know right and it's a lot better than waiting for somebody to dish you on Facebook or something, right? I mean, and and you can see that. And I love what you know as a merchant. I love the idea that oh, Patty, you weren't satisfied. Here, let me give you your free cup of coffee. Exactly. And so it's like right? pairing that pairing that text marketing. You know, now all of a sudden you come into that merchant and they're thinking I've got hundreds of text message, you know, uh, you know, numbers in my uh, account with Valor, which right. is with this particular ISO. They're not going to switch as easily. Um, nope. It's going to be a big decision for them to switch. So I think the stickiness is yeah. so crucial. And again, I love what Valor is doing because it's not, you know, we talk a lot about point of sale and integrated payments, all these big picture things, which are great. Right. But, but, you know, a lot of merchants are smaller and they want, they you need to retain them as well. Don't say, right. well, they're small. I'll just give them a regular old terminal. Who cares? No, like we just talked no. about fashion. Don't do that. Right. They're going to Absolutely. become, if you play your cards right, they're going to become bigger accounts. Absolutely. So head over to ccsalespro.com slash Valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R. Fill out the form, get a free demo, learn more about Valor Paytech. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, today I'm going to talk about the most underrated component of agent compensation and uh, spoiler alert, it is retention. All right, so I gotta talk about retention as it relates to agent compensation. So um, when I knew that we were going to be interviewing Sebastian, I thought about what I could talk about that would complement that a bit. And, you know, again, I think our interview that we just had was fantastic. I fantastic. thought it was so intriguing. And and to yeah. me, I just, I love, I love living in the age that we live in today. I just totally embrace it. You know, as a processing company, do you realize what, what he just said? Like, you right. get the data dump and send it to this guy, and right. he will return a list of merchants that are likely to cancel. I mean, seriously. I mean, how how cool is that, right? I mean, <laughs> like, and it's and it's just sort of like to me, it's like, wow, you know, so what a what a cool new business opportunity right. that nobody, you know, a couple of years ago would have even thought of. Right. So how does this relate to agents, you know, individual agents and agent compensation? Well, I love how Sebastian actually kind of alluded to it because he was mm-hmm. talking about, well, talk to your ISO, talk to your ISO. Well, 
Well, talking about what? Well, here's the thing. You know, I don't know how many agents out there I talk to who, when I ask them about, you know, how do you like your processor relationship, right? Like, you know, are you happy with your current processor? I don't right. think I have ever. Now, think about this. And I'm talking about, I've spoken to, I'm sure, three or 4,000 agents on the phone, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't think an agent has ever mentioned retention when I ask about how they like their processing company. Now, in fairness, they've mentioned maybe service, um, you know, the solutions that are provided and things like that. But it's Components like, of retention, right? Yes, but they're not like directly thinking about the retention. And as you just heard with that interview, there are things that your processor, that your ISO, you know, up the food chain, there are things that they can do that will dramatically increase the likelihood that you will retain your merchant accounts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is like, okay, I'm trying to put this in perspective. Okay, so if you take your retention from, you know, retaining 80% to retaining 85%, okay, okay, the Schedule A, like to, to compare that, like, you could probably get a Schedule A that was two or three cents higher with an extra two or three basis points of cost, and those would wash, right? right. So I didn't run the exact numbers, but just doing some rough- Put something numbers. around there. Yeah, sure. So so like the idea is, as an agent, you know, if your processor reached out to you and said, hey, we're going to take your Schedule A from three cents and two basis points to five cents and five basis points- you would be like hitting the roof. Like, are you sure. kidding me? I'm going to leave instantly, right? But a pro- one processor will come, you'll have two processors, right? One of mm-hmm. them will say, we'll give you three cents and three basis points. The other one will say, we'll give you three cents and two basis points. And you say, well, I'll take them all with the two basis points. Or one says, we'll give you this percentage. The other one will give you a 5% better residual split. And yet what you don't seem to care about is that one of those companies loses 27% of their merchants a year. Yeah. And the sure. other one loses 12 or 15. Right. right. Well, are you trying to build residual or not? If right. you're trying to build residual, the retention conversation is crucial when you sure. think about your long-term compensation because of a couple, let me give you a couple of reasons why it's it's such a huge deal. There's the obvious one that everybody understands, which is, well, if I don't lose the customer, I keep the residual, right? But that's such a small part of it. You know, mm-hmm. think about when you lose a merchant account, okay? Right. There's one of two ways that this happens. We have the walkers and the talkers, right? Everybody mm-hmm. understands in customer service, you have walkers and talkers. The walkers right. are the ones who just leave. Well, if your processing company is not alerting you that, hey, this merchant stopped processing, they haven't processed for the last three business days or whatever it is, if you can't set up alerts, how are you going to even know that that happened, mm-hmm. right? And then by the time you get to them, well, guess what? They've already got a new point of sale system or whatever. Think right. about the kind of technology that's coming that Sebastian just talked about where they could actually say, hey, this merchant hasn't called in or maybe they did call in with an issue or whatever, Like, but they haven't canceled yet. They haven't stopped processing, but they're more likely to cancel. So mm-hmm. here are seven merchants you might want to follow up on. Yeah, sure. Right? So, right. so that's crucial, but then- I think even the biggest one is that when your ISO is not focused on retention, who has to be focused on retention? You do. You do, the agent. And so right. when the agent, you know, when you're always worried, I, I sold for a processor one time and, you know, 
every time I would send, you know, I knew a merchant had an issue and the merchant would call in and I would always be terrified, you know, like, okay, I wonder how long they're going to be on the phone. I need to set an alarm because I need to call the merchant immediately after they're done on the phone so that I can fix whatever the processor did. Right. right you know, right. I would waste half a day on stuff like that. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's like, I better drive over there because I know it like literally it'd be like, well, I have a merchant. I'm making money on that merchant. And I know that right now they're on the phone with the processor. I should probably drive over there because I know when they get off the phone with the processor, they're going to be furious. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. guess how long I stayed with that processor? Not very long. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> right. I bet. Sure. Why? Because that's my time. I mean, nothing is more valuable to a sales professional than their time. Their time. time. Right. You know? I mean, you could be out selling another another account in exactly. the time you wasted there. Sure. Exactly. So yeah. I think, you know, what I would encourage our audience to do is number one, if you're a large if you're a company that has more than three thousand bits, like what mm-hmm. Sebastian just said, you know, start thinking about how can you make retention a higher priority and how can you extend that priority to your agents? How can you give your agents yeah. and your smaller ISOs the data that they need? Because they, they need. want it. Right. Those agents right. want it. It'll, and I can't believe how many ISOs right now are, I guarantee you are thinking, James, there's no way I'm going to send a list of people that I want my agents to follow up on. Then they're not going to make sales that day. That's the dumbest thing ever. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, what good? I mean, it takes how many accounts to compensate for a right. lost account. You should be taking care of your accounts. Right. And you should be like thinking that's a super profitable thing for your agent to do. Yes. And, and yes. by the way, if you really feel that strongly about it, then build out a support team that actually cares about the merchants and have them reach out on the merchant on the agent's behalf. But yeah. the idea is make it a higher priority. Give the agents and the smaller ISOs visibility into that. Right. And then for those of you that do that, let me give you a great piece of advice. Okay. Maybe just, just a side note, maybe you could mention that when you're recruiting people. Mm, yeah. No sure. one ever mentions it. I'm always yeah. blown. Well, I'm not blown away because everybody sucks at it. But it's but, always, at my, it's always the splits that they talk about. That's the, yes. you know, how much like, money are you going to make? Right. Create some data models. If you are one of the few ISOs that actually takes this seriously and you're, if, if you're retaining better than 80% a year, then you are good at this relative to our industry. That's generally right. terrible at it. So right. maybe it's time for you to think about that a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute. We only lost 12% last year. Maybe we should do something about that to show agents. So a um, couple of pieces of advice there. Again, individual agents, start having these conversations. If you're a processing company, start thinking about making retention a priority because ultimately retention is actually the most underrated component of agent compensation. Excellent advice. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. You know, James, while wiping down groceries and quarantining mail and wearing rubber gloves at the gas station... You know, things like this might be bygones of an earlier uh, pandemic era, shall we say? Sure. You know, some changes <laughs> ushered in by the pandemic are here to stay, you know, uh, especially in the payments arena, arena and especially as it pertains to digital payments. And that's the upshot from the latest uh, global back to business study by Visa. Okay. Uh, it includes data collected in December 2021 
2,250 small business owners in about nine countries. It also collected consumer data with interviews with 1,000 adults here in the U.S., 508 other countries. So I think the consumer data is pretty um, pertinent for, for us. Yeah. You know, so I just want to, it, it may seem like a lot of data, but just grab onto the pieces that make any difference for you, okay? All right. Let's but see. I think this is interesting. 90% of SMBs are optimistic about the future of their businesses, which is the highest level of optimism Visa has recorded since it began the study six years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is exceedingly surprising to me. But okay. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I, that's what blew my mind. That's I, mean, what I mean, I'm optimistic, but I didn't know. I'm optimistic else. too, but I didn't think uh, everybody else was. <laughs> Okay, good. Okay. Uh, 54% viewed last year as an opportunity and reported their businesses uh, were doing well heading into the new year, up from 46% in the summer of 2021. Okay. 82% said they plan to accept some form of digital payment option this year. Not surprising there. No, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. Say that again. What was that number? 82% of SMBs. Right. Plan to accept some form of digital payment option in 2022. Digital so payment that, meaning that like, by that that means like uh, contactless or um, e-wallets or you know digital wallets. Okay. Even crypto would fall into that. Um, so this is you, the, they're, they're looking to accept a form of payment other than someone swiping or keying in a credit card. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's actually a really high number. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, in fact, 73% see accepting new forms of payment as fundamental to their business growth. Wow. Again, that's a great number. Yeah. It's a great number. And I think that you look at it like people like you and I, for example, who don't like to swipe our cards anymore. Yep. <laughs> I can't, you know, with you, if you can't do your watch or your, or your phone, with right. me, if I can't do my card, you know, just tap it. Right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not happy. Right. <laughs> you know? yep, absolutely. Um, so here's an interesting, you know, among, among SMBs with an online presence, 90% agreed their survival through the t pandemic was due to increased efforts to sell online. Okay. That's pretty logical. That makes sense. Um, 50% plan to increase cross-border sales in 2022. I think this goes again to the pandemic, to e-commerce. You know, I, for one, find that I'm buying more often from, um, you know, I'm online looking for something and I don't realize it's a European uh, merchant until I get to checkout. <laughs> right? right. You know, right. it's like right. pounds, euros, dollars. Oh, this is somebody in Europe. <laughs> you know, right. Um, <clears throat> so um, I thought that was real. I thought those were really interesting. And then here's some huh. of the consumer uh, cashless plans. More than half of consumers surveyed, about 53%, expect to shift to being completely cashless within 10 years. Yeah, I'm surprised it's that low, but yeah, that's that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And again, that's a generational thing, you know. Of course, I mean, of course, yeah. People my age are a little less likely. People your age are a little bit more likely. Right. People um, younger than me are much more likely, so yeah. Much more likely. 25% said it will happen within the next two years. Wow. And 16% um, already are just using uh, cashless payment methods. Yep, that's me. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. 
Um, and I thought that here's another little interesting thing. You know, as for the SMBs, um, 64% expect to shift exclusively to, um, you know, new forms of payment, you know, non-cash, non-touch payments in 10 right. years. Right. 41% said they expect to do it in two years. Wow. Which, again, and now back to the consumers. Um, and this I thought was really interesting. I'm not totally surprising, but I'd love to see a number attached to it. 41% of consumers surveyed said they had abandoned a purchase in a physical store because digital payments were not accepted. And wow. this is especially true of younger consumers. Whew. Among Zen, Gen Z, it was 59%. Your generation, it was, you know, the millennials, it was 55%. And the boomers, 19%. Not not a whole lot of surprise there, you know? Right. Uh, right. Not all boomers are as hip and, and, and modern as me. <laughs> well, Patty, you're the trendsetter. So you're that's right. That's right. You know, I always, I always remember <clears throat> the first time I started using electronic bill pay was like in the early to mid eighties. And, wow. um, and I had a, I had a dentist at the time and I had set him up, you know, and of course a lot of people, they were basically doing check and list in those days, right? you know, but uh, so they would, you know, my vendors would get this check from, uh, it was check free at the time, which is now part of Fiserv and all that. But um, right. I remember I had my dentist took me aside and he said, um, are you in trouble? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, am I getting that check from like some kind of like bankrupt, you know, some kind of debt, <laughs> debt consolidation? Uh -oh, right. <laughs> he, thought they were, he, thought, he thought they were taking all your money and just paying your bills for you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And of course, now, you know, I mean, every, you know, everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Wow. But anyway, I just thought those were some really interesting statistics that, you know, could keep people, um, you know, thinking in terms of, of where to go with their, um, you know, it's really important to be selling things like contactless and, yeah. and you know, wallet acceptance, et cetera. Yeah. Love it. Great stuff, Patty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.